You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Dave Skopinich. Dave is the Vice President Director of Sales of Odyssey Philadelphia, the number one creator of premium original audio content in the United States. They are the strongest group of local radio stations in America, the most awarded podcast studios, and their Odyssey app is the fastest growing audio streaming app. And of course, he's also the loving husband and father of three. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. What a great intro. You should be selling radio. <laughs> well, if this podcasting thing doesn't work out, we'll see what I can do for you. It's good to know I've got a backup. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. First, tell us a fun fact. What is something that not many people know about Dave Skopinich? All right, fun fact. I'll give you a couple of nuggets. I'm a roller coaster addict. Ooh. I love them. Go on as many as possible. And we've taken trips just for those. What's the biggest, best, most awesome roller coaster you've ever been on? I would say it's a tie. Okay. And and they're both in one park, actually. This is now it sounds like I'm doing a commercial for Bush Gardens in Virginia. But I would say that Griffin is the most intense and the tallest, probably best drop is Apollo's chariot in Bush Gardens. I do not have that's not a paid endorsement. There's no money being exchanged for that. It's just a great park that my kids and I love. That's awesome. I love good roller coasters. I think there's only two kinds of people, lovers and haters. There's nobody who's kind of indifferent to the roller coasters. We, we went to Disney World. I took my boys last spring and Guardians of the Galaxy was the new one there. And that was awesome. I loved it. I've not been to Bush Gardens. We're going later this year. Yeah, okay. we're going later this year. So it'll be my first time. But you'll have to tell me if it is just in the top three or if it officially moves Apollo and, and the other one out of the top. You got it. All right. Well, expect a full report back. So tune in later this year, ladies and gentlemen, for the official roller coaster evaluation from the pro. Now let's get back to radio and, and audio here. So what is your 30-second elevator pitch? Tell us a little bit about you and Odyssey. You did a great job with Odyssey. We're a multi-platform audio content and entertainment company. And what that means ultimately when you say audio, it's comprised of multiple platforms. Our radio station group is the strongest in America, in my humble opinion. We have the most awarded podcast studios. We have the fastest growing streaming audio app. And we create and deliver premium original audio to more than 200 million consumers every single week. So really love the company. Been here with this station group in Philadelphia for a little bit more than 20 years. Wow. And it's just tremendous. It's tremendous. And there's what, over 230 radio stations in, in your family there? There are. Our company operates very heavily in the top 50 markets across the country, more than 230 radio stations. Chances are, if you live in a top 50 market, there is a sports, news, or music station, we hope, an Odyssey station that is a part of your day. The beauty of radio is that it's free. So my job is to connect advertisers with our radio station so that they can get access to communicate their message to our audience and hopefully do more business with them. 
Beautiful. And in doing all of this, what is your favorite part of your job and why? My favorite part of the job is it's our sellers, our people, and our brands, I would say. Our people, our brands, and our clients. We have a group in Philadelphia. We have a group of 32 salespeople, group of five sales managers, and we all work together toward this shared goal, our shared team goals. We represent these brands that are such an important part of people's lives in our region. We have one radio station that is going to celebrate its 58th anniversary this year. That's amazing. It's incredible. And, and the way I think about radio is that it's your companion with you a lot of times, you know, in the most intimate moments of, of your life. When I think of radio, I think of the songs that were on when I was driving to pick up my now wife on our first date. I think of different momentous occasions and the role that music or sports or news played in those things. And radio is a big part of it. So very special to me. Oh, I love it. That sounds like fun. Now, in doing all of this, what's one of the biggest issues of the day? And how do you have to adjust your messaging when you're talking to different key stakeholder groups about it? The biggest challenge today is overcoming. There's a myth. There is a myth out there. And it's funny, I'm saying this on a podcast. And podcasts are such an important part of our company. It's very cliche today to say like, well, no one's really listening to radio anymore. And people say that to us a lot. It's funny. I joke that I coach youth baseball and I have one of the jobs where people have an opinion about the thing that I sell or where I work and they don't hesitate to share it. So I'll hear like, well, no one's really listening to radio anymore. And then they'll tell me all the things they like or don't like about the radio station. And it's funny, like, okay, well, you obviously listen. It's getting that point across. You know, the fact is, and, and this is not me stating this, this is Nielsen stating this, is that radio, over the air radio, reaches almost 90% of Americans in most demographics every single week. In Philadelphia alone, our six radio stations reach more than 2 million listeners every single week. That's more than 40% of the adults in this market. So it's, it's actually one of the last mediums that has that ability to deliver tremendous reach. And we have to, you know, when you ask about different constituencies, I have to first and foremost convince clients of that. And probably secondarily, I have to constantly remind and reinforce and come up with different ways of delivering engaging messaging about this to the sales team as well. So when you're talking about, let me just make sure everybody's clear on terms here. When you talk about convincing your clients of this, we're talking about the advertisers that the people are still listening to radio. Yes. Advertisers and advertising agencies. You can imagine that's one constituency that we talk to about this. And then internally as well, making sure our sellers know just how many people are listening and framing it. Framing it in a way that oddly, we use framing devices that give you a visual of what that audience will look like. So Instead of saying to my sellers, hey, at any given moment in time, there are 45,000 people listening to my sports talk radio station here in Philadelphia. It's called 94WIP. Instead of just saying that, what I'll say is I, I want you to imagine standing on the pitcher's mound at a sold out Citizens Bank ballpark for a Phillies Mets game and all 45,000 people are in their seats. And you get a chance to talk to them about your business for 30 seconds and they're all paying attention. And what is the impact of that? And when you get somebody to visualize the size of that audience, they come to value the audience a lot more. Yeah, that's a great visual. The use of visuals in that basis is so powerful to get an idea of scope. Because when you talk about numbers and you're getting into tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, 
billions at that point. Most people can't really wrap their heads around that. It just isn't something that they would ever see in their lives in person, whether it's tens of thousands of people, tens of thousands of dollars. It's not a quantity anyone ever sees in its entirety all in one place. So to provide that visual, I think it just drives home the message so much more concretely. And you know where we process words is different in the brain from where we process images like that. So it really is a chance to have your whole brain wrapping around it. Agreed 100%. Now, in all of these audiences that you've had a chance to talk to, who's the toughest person you ever had to get through to? And how did you do it? Probably not in radio. I've been fortunate to find a career in sales. And my career did not start that way. My career started as a writer for a trade magazine. Don't get too excited. It was a trade magazine about the convenience store industry. So it actually was, it was very exciting to me and it was a great education about business. So I was writing for this magazine for a couple of years and then I wanted to make a transition into sales. I had seen you know, that there was a great earning opportunity. I thought it would be exciting. I thought it would be an, a great next progression in my career. And I thought all of these things and the publisher of the magazine couldn't have disagreed more. So most times people don't make the transition from the content side to the sales side and candidly, vice versa. You know, most times the content side is not eager to hire the salespeople. So I had to ask and ask and present my case and deal with several rejections. And little did I know it was a sales process and it was a sales test by him to see if I would persist, to see if I would come up with different arguments for why it would be a good idea. And eventually he gave me a chance. And that led me to a career in sales and coached me up on not taking that first, second, third, fourth, or fifth no for an answer if you know that it's the right thing. That's so funny. I'm hearing more and more stories about how the the need for persistence. And it's not about nagging. There's a difference. But when something is really important, the ability to be tenacious, to frame however you want, but to keep addressing it, to not just let it slide because it, you don't hear the yes the first time around. Funny story. I used to teach some grad classes over at the University of Pennsylvania, and I'd always have students at the end of the semester who'd ask me for letters of recommendation if they wanted to go on to PhDs. And I would always say to them, we need to sit down and talk first because I'm going to tell you all the ugly stuff about doctoral work that is not in any of the brochures. And if by the time we're done, I haven't convinced you that you don't want to do this, then you might actually be the right person. And sure, I'll write you that letter because it's all the stuff nobody told me ahead of time that I learned the hard way. And a Jewish friend of mine said, Laura, you should have been a rabbi because that's their job. You tell them you want to convert. And they say, no, you don't. And then they try to talk you out of it because they want to see if you're serious. If you keep coming back. See, there you go. Got to see if you're serious. Do you keep coming back? And you're right. You can't nag. You're pleasantly persistent and with different touch points. You know, it's not just a phone call after a phone call after a phone call. Maybe it's the initial phone call. There's a follow-up email. There's a LinkedIn touch point. There is, in our business, we use what we call spec spots, spec commercials, sample commercials that we custom make for the prospect. Sometimes we'll send it to a prospect and say, imagine hearing this on KYW News Radio, one of our big news stations. And a lot of times that will get the attention of the prospect and open the door because you're right. The people who we sell to actually hire people to keep us away from them. Very few people wake up in the morning hoping that an advertising sales executive calls them. Really? So. <laughs> I'm shocked. No cold callers. But you know, you used another really key word there. And for everybody out there who, no matter what 
ideas you're pitching, regardless of what your role actually is and whether or not you view yourself in a sales role. I hope you heard that when Dave was using those sample advertisements, clips that they had built for the prospect, he framed it with, imagine this, imagine hearing this. And that's so important. My understanding, and tell me if this is what you hear too, Dave, is that really the imagine this or picture this or what if, getting people to visualize, and in your case, auditorily, here in their mind, what the future could look or could sound like, paint the picture for them. And you just painted the audio picture. So you're really giving them something tangible to to process, not just, you know, words of sorts. Exactly. We do that in the imagine this and we, uh, we sell ideas in many cases. So it's an interesting sale because it is not a tangible sale. We ask people to make meaningful investments and yeah, we respect the fact that that money would otherwise be in their pocket in many cases, especially with like the smaller local advertisers. So we have to make sure that we tell them exactly what's going to happen when that commercial airs. And that's the imagine this, you're on the pitcher's mound at a sold out baseball stadium and how many people are listening and what would you pay if you could talk to them for 30 seconds? You're hiring us as an additional sales arm. You're really, you know, that's how I look at it. And we're warming up all of their cold calls. And hopefully we are breaking the tie when a consumer goes to Google and searches for an HVAC company. Well, hopefully, you know, we all know that three, four, five, ten companies are going to come up on Google. We hope to break the tie. We hope somebody sees that, oh, that's the company I heard on the radio, or that's the one that my favorite DJ was talking about. And we help break the tie in that case. That's a great phrase. We help break the tie. That That's a great little advertising piece. But whether or not, again, anybody out there, if you were in a sales role per se is not the point. Anytime you're trying to persuade anybody of anything, your boss, your coworkers, your your clients, whoever it happens to be, if you're trying to be persuasive, you're trying to sell an idea. You may not like the word sell, but metaphorically speaking, it is all the same thing. So being able to help them envision what the future would look like if... It's, it's a great tactic. So I hope you just pulled the car over and are, are writing this kind of stuff down. <laughs> Not while you're driving. No texting and driving or personal notes to self and driving. Pull over. Wait till that red light. Voice memo only. Voice memo only. Yes, exactly. Series, series good for those kinds of things. Okay, with that then, what is the most important lesson that you learned when you did get that job and were moving from being an individual contributor to leading your first team? Maybe it was another job or two down the line. It was. It was in radio when I first became a manager. I first became a manager in 2007. The lesson I learned was a hard one, really, because I'd wanted to be a manager. And I had all these visions of what being a manager meant, most of which were wrong. If 2023 Dave could go back and talk to my earlier self, I could have saved a lot of trouble because the key isn't to be a manager. The moment of enlightenment for me was when I realized that my sellers were my clients. My job was the same as when I was a seller. When I was a seller, I wanted to take care of my clients. I wanted to keep them happy. I wanted to know everything about them. I wanted to help them grow their business. And I wanted to, you know, I had to say no when it didn't work for the radio station. You have to have meaningful dialogue about that. But you can replace client with seller in everything I just said. And to me, that's the job of somebody who is in my role as a sales manager, essentially that I need to keep my sellers happy. I need to know everything about them. I need to help them grow their business. I need to know what motivates them. I, know, I need to give them the imagine if. I mean, imagine if we can put together this program and what that's going to mean for your income. 
So we, we do a lot of that as well. And yeah, I think learning that the sellers became my new clients, I think that was the key moment to doing a better job as a sales manager. Beautiful. And having that influence, realizing who your direct clients and constituencies really are is, of course, step number one. And speaking of step number one, let's give everybody else one step to take. This brings us to our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So Dave, this is your opportunity to talk directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? Can I steal something that I just learned a couple of months ago from someone else? I won't tell if you don't tell. Sure. All right. Well, I'll tell everyone and I'll (laughs) give them a plug. First off, I'm a big Philadelphia Phillies fan and we had an opportunity to do some work with the creator and the original Philly fanatic. It's a gentleman named Dave Raymond. And we are very familiar with Dave Raymond, who was, and I don't have to go check the number, but who was a wonderful guest on our show a couple of months ago. He may have done the same thing. This could be a rerun then. I don't know. Let's find out. But he was fabulous. So, and if everybody out there has not heard the Dave Raymond episode, as soon as you're done listening to the Dave Skopinich, maybe it's a Dave thing, the Dave Skopinich episode, go back and listen to the Dave Raymond episode. But Dave, take it away. What is, what did you learn from Dave? Dave Raymond will be way more entertaining, I'm sure. But here's what I stole from him. And it has not only changed my life at work, more important, it's changed my daily dialogue with my two youngest kids. Everybody knows, you know, how was school today, right? It's a common question. Good, good, fine. My two youngest are two teenage boys, so they're not the most giving and expansive in their answers. Dave taught us at a recent, we had him in to coach our team about the power of fun and the power of happiness. And he taught us the, the phrase, tell me something good. So when you see somebody, ask them to tell you something good. It will make people pause. The most interesting thing is they'll pause because people aren't asked that question very often. And then they'll tell you the most intimate details of their life and things you would have not gotten if you just said, how was your weekend? Right? It's the difference of, hey, how was your weekend? Most people are like, oh, it was great. How was yours? If you say, tell me something great about this weekend, they'll tell you something meaningful. And the same with my kids. They now tell me, and I've added questions, you know, tell me something that bothered you today. Tell me something that made you laugh today. Tell me the funniest thing that happened in school today. Tell me something good. And I would say that that's something everyone can do in the next 24 hours. Test it out. If you like it, you can keep it rolling. It has transitioned the beginning of every weekly sales meeting we do. We used to just go right into sales highlights. And it was great. We talked about the business successes of our team. Instead, now we start with tell me something good. And I go around the room and probably a half dozen to 10 people. And you learn so many things. Oh, my cousin's getting married and I'm going out to Ohio for the weekend. Oh, you know, my daughter-in-law just got a scholarship or yeah, my daughter just got a scholarship. My daughter-in-law's pregnant, whatever it might be. You learn personal things. And I think that helps build culture and build relationships, which is especially important in our current work environment that is more of a hybrid. It's You have to find ways to make sure that people are connecting on a personal level. I love it. So uh, Dave, tell me something good. Tell me something good. It's baseball season and it's my favorite time of year. My sons both have... It's something good, but something very stressful. My sons both have tryouts next week for teams there we're now kicking into you know all the workouts and everything that goes with that and i get very excited at the beginning of baseball season both for watching 
MLB and watching the Phillies and more important, watching my sons play baseball. That's great. I don't believe that that was Dave Raymond's 24-hour influence challenge. But what is absolutely certain is that this is the first time that I believe I have ever tested a 24-hour influence challenge right there as it was levied by the guest himself. So thank you for being here. History is being made. Right here in this studio. The pod is a success. <laughs> Everything else can be a failure and terrible after this, and we're good. At the very least, the Listener 24-Hour Influence Challenge works. Look at that. Look how much we've learned already. Well, now, we've talked about some successes that we've just had. How about the other end of the spectrum? Let's talk about some mistakes. What's a communication-related mistake that you've made? And if you could have a do-over, what would it sound like? The most common mistake I make, and I still make it, anyone who's listening to this who has made sales a career has to be okay with failing a lot. A large percentage of your work and your effort results in nothing. That's a maddening thing. The most common mistake I make is when, in the beginning, I talk too much about Odyssey or our stations or what I can do for them. When I'm doing my job well, I actually put the writer's hat on that in the beginning of my career and I ask people questions and I listen. I dig and probe and get information and make the meeting less about me and more about them. And then hopefully, there's a path to me being able to convince the client that we can deliver value for him or her. And it's like any other relationship in life. My wife would have not married me if on our first date, I just talked about me, 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 me. You have to talk about the other person in personal life and business, and you have to find out what's important to them and how you can help them. So the problem is, I don't always live up to that. And sometimes I talk too much about our stations, our brands, our existing clients, and it sounds too much like we're talking about ourselves and we miss opportunities to learn things that could help us develop partnerships. And to balance that, I think, tell me if I'm wrong on this, Dave, but to the extent that there are people who do naturally gravitate toward that, especially if their mental preframing is something like, I don't like to talk about myself. And there's that little hesitation, self-consciousness or whatever. If you're someone who gravitates toward that, well, I don't like to talk about myself, you can actually overuse the questioning component too because you don't want to just interrogate the other person. It's nice that you can learn so much about them, but they do want to learn something about you too. They want to know that you're as open as they are, not as open, at least willing to share something. Otherwise, okay, well, you've learned lots about them. You maybe made them feel good about themselves, but they don't know anything else about you. So will there be a second conversation? You know, What's in it for them? So I think finding that balance is really the key, isn't it? Yeah, definitely asking questions that lead to a dialogue about ways in which we might be able to help them and yes. where we can deliver value. Me saying that Odyssey reaches 200 million people every single week really doesn't mean anything if that doesn't help your business. That doesn't mean anything to the local Philadelphia business. It does mean something to FanDuel. It means something to DuckDuckGo. It means something to Home Depot, our big national partners. But to our local clients, I might be talking about the very specific audience of one radio station. And more important, I might be talking about success stories we've had and analytics data that shows what happens when a radio commercial airs. How many people... Okay, so if you're an electrician in the Philadelphia market and you're going to advertise on one of my radio stations, it's very helpful to know, okay, when a home improvement advertiser runs commercials, how many people visit their website after that? How many people call a number? You know, what's the, what are the results? What's the case study? So we talk a lot about that as well. Amazing. So many things to 
keep track of, but it's so powerful to recognize what other people want to hear, what they want to know. What is an approach that you've used to address an accountability issue with somebody on your team? It's always difficult. You have difficult conversations. I will admit that I probably only read half of this book because I feel like, but it's an impactful book in my life, oddly. The book Radical Candor, Kim Scott's the author. And it's about the value in having honest, difficult conversations in a respectful way. And I think you have a better chance of coming to some agreement with people in your company, on your team, about these are our mutually agreed upon goals. And I talk to them about, hey, here are your goals and here's how we're going to get to them. And here are things that we need to change together and work on. And I think that radical candor, I would say, is, is the big takeaway. I try and remind myself that if you do it in a respectful manner, if I'm, if I'm able to deliver the message respectfully, then I'm doing right by that salesperson. Most times it's a salesperson. Oftentimes it's a client too, though. Clients, we have to be honest with them, even if it's not something that they want to hear. You gave a caveat that I think is really important to reiterate for people to be able to use this suggestion effectively because it's radical candor, but done respectfully. Radical candor itself does not mean unfiltered, just raw from the gut. If I tell you, I think that's the stupidest idea ever, or I think that you are utterly useless, your numbers are abysmal, this is not really going to be helpful. I mean, it may get the person to leave. Yeah, those would not be phrases we should use. No, right? it may be what you're thinking, but you better think really carefully about what response you're hoping for when you approach that. So to let them know that this is the third month in a row that their sales numbers are off or that they're missing deadlines or that they're some other kind of a challenge, that's fine. But to do so in a way that doesn't make them want to turn around and leave immediately or file complaints with HR or something else. So I think that the best definition that I've heard of diplomacy or of tact was Howard Newton said that tact or diplomacy is the art of making a point without making an enemy. That's a great quote. And I try and remember that I've been in this role for almost eight years now. And that means that the people on my team are here. I played a role in building this team and I find value in them and I know their talents and their abilities and I know they're working hard. And in our business, and I think in any sales business, most times if you're making the right hires and if I'm training people correctly and if I'm giving them the right opportunities and putting them in a good position to succeed, they're going to have success if they're making effort. And that's what we have to focus on in those discussions. Yes, completely. All right, Dave. Well, if somebody in Odyssey wanted to move up into a senior leadership role, aside from technical expertise, what's one skill they'd have to demonstrate to you and why? I would want to make sure that they can make decisions, that they don't just present their direct report with a problem, that they come with solutions. It might be one solution. It might be multiple solutions that might solve the problem. So I look for people who can make decisions. And my job is to hopefully support their decisions, help them execute properly. But I think decision-making and the ability to connect with people. To sell now, people don't answer their phones. They're not as readily available as they were pre-COVID. So getting in touch with people and finding a way to connect with people 
is an even greater skill than it was before because people are tough to track down. So the ability to connect with people through multiple platforms, you have to find out if the client is a texter. Is the client somebody who you can text message or call or email? What's going to be the best? Do they want you calling their cell phone? Do they want you stopping in and seeing them? You have to quickly ascertain that. So I would say decision-making ability and the ability to connect with people. When it comes to making decisions, I'm curious, where is the line between individually making decisions versus collectively making decisions? If it's about getting the team to make decisions, getting buy-in, or just knowing that if you run the show here, if the buck stops with you, that there's a time and a place for you to just say, here's what's going to happen. Is it one more than the other? On the most important decisions we make in our organization, I have a team of five sales managers who work with me and they've all been with me a long time and they all have my complete trust. So I go to them a lot and talk to them. I go to my mentor and my boss as well. Ultimately, he a lot of times is my final sounding board because he's my coach, my mentor. He's also my boss and my trusted colleague. I mean, I've been working with him for a couple of decades now. So we make decisions as a team, but that's the the biggest and most important decisions. Our people, our sales managers, and our sellers are empowered to make decisions. We give them the framework of information, but they're empowered to make decisions. And if somebody makes a wrong decision, let's use me as the example rather than me saying somebody else makes a decision. I've made plenty of wrong decisions, I'm sure, this week. right? And my manager... His job is to support me in those decisions publicly and coach me on how to make better decisions later privately. So I try and do the same thing that, hey, look, this is a decision that I think if we had this decision in front of us again, I'd like you to consider this option, but I'm going to support the decision you made because it keeps you empowered. I think that that creates better leaders. My job is to make sure that if a bus hits me on the way out of here, that any of those five people can step into the role and our organization will continue to run smoothly. So we have to make sure that people are empowered to make decisions and that they know that even if there's a mistake, it's not the end of the world. I mean, it's an important business. We love our business. We take it very seriously. But if something goes wrong, we're very fortunate. We're not surgeons. It's something that we can fix most problems. And a lot of times that actually gives our clients an opportunity to see us at our best, to see how we make up for a mistake, to see how somebody handles that situation. A lot of times that's what builds the most trusting and long-term relationships. Absolutely. You're human. And while they don't want there to be problems, the question is, can you rectify the situation, whether the problem was your fault or otherwise, how do you handle it? And I think showing that uh, you can step up when necessary is by far one of the greatest most undervalued, frankly, underrecognized leadership skills. So thank you for sharing that with the group. And with that, also, thank you just for being on the show. I can't believe it, but our time is up. How can people learn more about you, Dave, and Odyssey? I am on LinkedIn. So Dave Skopinich, you can find me there. I My email and my cell phone are both on there. And I love talking to people. It's my job, but I also love doing it. And then as for Odyssey, you can download the free Odyssey app. That's the best thing that you could do download the app and explore. We have just such valuable original audio content on there. News, sports, music that you'll love, podcasts, just so much content. And I'm really proud of it. I'm proud to represent the brand. And I love our radio stations and just what we, what role we play in people's daily lives. A lot of times, 
one of the first things many people in this country do when they wake up is turn on some type of audio and it's with them throughout most of the day. And I'm really proud of that. That's amazing. And I definitely am in that category. And I'm betting that an awful lot of listeners are out there too. And hopefully this episode is one of the first things that they tune into when they tune into their podcasts and other radio in the morning as they're getting ready to start the day. Thank you so much for having me. And I appreciate it. And I hope everybody listening enjoyed it. If you did, send me a message. If you didn't, tell me that as well. But uh, make sure you tell me something good, right? Love it. Yes. Tell us both something good. Reach out. Let us know what hit you, what hit home, what your takeaways were. We always appreciate that feedback. If you haven't done so, of course, be sure to subscribe so that you never miss another episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Odyssey, and everywhere else so that we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.